Que onda, primas y primos y primes? Welcome to My Primos Podcast. I am Kevin Garcia, our lovely host. Freddie is not with us today, and Walter is back taking care of the little Walters. So we have with us special guest or two, Gonzalo Alvarez and Grace, the creators of Pollo Man and a bunch of other really cool projects coming up down the line. Gonzalo, Grace, say hello. Now, Gonzalo, Grace, uh, the three of us, and Freddie and Walter, and several other people, were all just at the Latino Comic Comic Con in uh, Dallas. Yes, yes, the Texas Latino Comic Con uh, happens every year. This time, we finally got to reunite after the long hiatus in person, and it was a blast. That's true. That's true. For the past two years, it was all online. Uh, we got to do StreamYard, actually, just like what we're doing right now for our interview. Um, it was it was not the same, you know? Uh, I, I was going to conventions for years, and then suddenly they were all just gone. Um, it, did you guys do a bunch of online conventions that year? We did one or two, which is this one and Mexamericon. And, yeah, unfortunately, it definitely isn't the same. So we're definitely happy that things are seeming to, to be looking better. Yeah, got to meet with a bunch of creators, people having new projects out. And there was also a premiering at that convention, the Texas Hino Comic Con, a card game that I heard a lot about, but I was so busy running around, I didn't get to play. Uh, Gonzalo, tell us real quick, what is it you, uh, you guys are working on? Yeah, so at this convention, we were showing off the first debut of Nawali, the Aztec card game. And basically, I spent the last six months developing and illustrating a card game where you summon Aztec spirits, animals, and more to battle with other sorcerers and just sort of bring culture, game design, and art all into one package. And then you show, you chose to premiere that at the Texas Latino Comic Con, um, which yes. honestly seems like the place to go. That's where I've met a lot of artists and creators, game designers. Um, You've worked on games before, though, and also you're not working on this by yourself. Grace, uh, how have you been involved with Nawali? Um, I've been helping with the editing process. Uh, I go and help with just, uh, poses for the creatures and designs, and then the colors and the shadows, and just overall... Um, I don't like this mechanic. I find this boring. And Gonzalo's like, let me <laughs> fix it and make it better. Here, how's this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that. That's much better. <laughs> yeah, editing is a very, very important part of the process. And there's no one better. And just as a background for anybody listening to us, let's talk a little bit about what you guys have done before. Uh, when I first met you, you had just done a, a Borders game a little bit before that. And then we're making in, in the the depths of making the first iteration of Pollo Man. Uh, so tell me real quick, uh, remind us real quick, what was Borders? How did that come about and, and what was that? Yeah, so during college, I was really interested in exploring game design, but there wasn't anything like that in my school, my community college here. So I decided to figure it out. We and and you're, out in, you're out in East Texas, right? Right. I'm in Southeast Texas in Port Arthur near Houston. Very, very small town with no game design whatsoever. Um, but so we chose to go to the uh, convention for the Indicate in New York. We met some amazing people. I met some friends who would eventually end up helping me develop the first game idea I had, which was Borders. And it was a game that I had come up with on how it would feel like to cross the Mexican border, play as a character crossing the border, inspired by the story of my parents who have to do the same journey. And the reason for it was because of, at the time, our former president was only just running at the time. And there was a lot of hate towards immigrants that was happening uh, that I hadn't experienced growing up until that point. And so I felt like the game was a way of um, sort of expressing that immigrants, you know, we, we have a story to share. And so, um, yeah, that was kind of the focus. Well done. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about your, your parents' story, if that's okay? Yeah, of course. Um, so 
my parents moved to the States 28 years ago, whenever I was born. Uh, my parents grew up in Mexico City. My dad was born in Mexico City, my mom in Jalisco, and then they grew up in Michoacan, Cotija, Cotija, Michoacan, uh, where the best cheese is from. Maybe you've eaten Cotija cheese. <laughs> um, but they basically, they were farmers and they wanted to give me their future son an opportunity. And they heard a lot about, you know, the United States. And so they, they came over here, but unfortunately because of the system, they had to do it in ways that uh, are different, that are harder for people who don't have, you know, a good social financial background. Something you told me once before was that making that game and then and then making some of the the comics and cards that you've done later on uh, helped connect you with some of that heritage that you felt distanced from. Uh, is that right? Correct. It was the stories that I heard from my parents of, you know, immigration of El Cucuy and all these other folktales that eventually ended up giving me the passion to connect to it and and sort of keep it alive. And then, uh, Grace, you also have a background in art. Um, you, we were talking a minute ago, you said you've done restorations of, of classical art pieces. And, and I've, I've been following you on Instagram. You have a lot of really amazing art. I, I initially saw you doing more of like, I, I, I'm not using the proper terms, but like painter, painted art, you know, like more fine art things. But then lately I've seen you doing some kind of anime inspired stuff. So, uh, Grace, real quick before we get back to Gonzalo, can you tell us a little bit about your background in art? Um, so before I went to college, uh, my goal was I really loved making stories and I wanted to make graphic novels and things like that, but we didn't really have that program. So I went with painting and I learned a lot about that and a lot about history. <laughs> Is this also in Southeast Texas? Yes. We went to the same, we actually met in, at that school. Yeah, so our our I guess our, our love story is, uh, yeah, I we were in class and she had these really cool pants on that were like half colored, and so I it went up like something a painter would wear. And so I went up to her and I was like, "Hey, I like your pants." And then she ran away, and that kind of I did say thank you first before running away and hiding under the staircase. And that's how we met. Yes. There's a longer story to that, but that's a good story. I'll be honest, though. You know, uh, oddly colored pants is the beginning of so many classic love stories that you know, <laughs> it's, it, it makes a lot of sense. All right. So I, want, so I want to get back to this career you guys have kind of built together. Um, yeah. border, Borders was more on your own. Uh, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you were working Pollo Man. Could you very, very quickly give us just a rundown of what is Pollo Man? Just... Bare bones, elevator pitch. What's what's Poyo Man? Poyo Man is an Aztec fantasy adventure about a young boy from Mexico City who ends up in Aztlan, the Aztec mythical world, and discovers he has to fight these boogeymen that he heard about growing up, and now they're real. And in order to save the world, he has to gain the confidence to be able to become the sun hero and use the power of the sun to protect the land. Now, when I first met you, you had that, that first edition, this, this uh, I guess we'll call it a proof of concept copy of, of the Apoyo Man, where it was kind of like a little bit of, of uh, almost like adventure time with like a Mesoamerican inspiration to it, uh, or maybe the other way around, Mesoamerican adventure with an adventure time inspiration to it. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, you were developing the story of the, of the young boy and, and his family and, and then kind of drawing him into that world using a mixture of creatures from uh, ancient mythology to modern folklore to even a little bit of pop culture. Uh, and I thought that was really neat. Uh, and then, Grace, you helped him kind of develop that a little bit over time. I don't know how much you did on that first version, but I know that over time you, you've helped him a lot with like the pacing and the storytelling and the design. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Grace was... From the very beginning, my first patron and supporter of, of Poyo Man and always been coloring it. <laughs> yeah. She so she colored the very first issue and she's continually coloring the the current full-length graphic novel and I pushed for more female characters. 
and she's very helpful with writing. Uh, you know, her writing style is something that I really, um, you know, inspired me. She, she's just really good at writing and storytelling. And so okay. she's been able to, I think, really add a lot of character to, to the book. You know what I really love is that for for both of you, creating has been a way to not only Gonzalo connect with your past, like you said, but also with each other. Um, and and I, I honestly feel like that's why I joined my Primo's podcast and why I go to conventions like that is I I, I grew up, I'm, I'm from a little bit older generation from you guys, right? And the generation I was at that my grandparents, you know, spoke Spanish originally. My, my dad's generation, though, in the 60s, they were told, if you speak Spanish in school, you know, we're going to punish you, you know, rule yeah. it to the hand. And so my grandparents made an effort to speak English at home. As a result, my my dad and, and my uncles and aunts don't speak very good Spanish. And then I have no bilingual cousins on my dad's side from that generation. You know, none of us do. And then my generation, we weren't discouraged from pe learning Spanish, but it wasn't encouraged either. Uh, so where I got a lot of that culture from was my Anglo mother, rather, sorry, my gringa mother. I remember correctly. She, she didn't like being called Angla because she said her ancestors were Scottish, not Anglo, like Anglo. <laughs> um, but, uh, but the point is she would encourage me to go find that, that culture. And it wasn't until I was an adult, um, you know, interacting with other creators and, and then, and moving to the, like the Austin community for that matter, that I really got to connect a lot more with my own heritage uh, than I had when I was when I was younger, mm -hmm. and, and I say my generation because future generations they encourage kids you know be bilingual, learn both languages, learn more about you know culture. When and mine we weren't discouraged, we weren't encouraged either. So it's kind of like that little black hole there. Right. And right. So that's why I love hearing stories like yours, where it's also somebody who who found something and used it to connect with the past like that. Right. Yeah. I didn't grow up with Aztec or Native culture necessarily in my upbringing you know my parents although they're mexican unfortunately colonization has yeah. had a strong effect on mexican culture and so native culture doesn't necessarily get the attention uh, it deserves and so my parents a lot of the stuff that i've learned and that i've told them about it's new to them even though my dad you know he's dark he is full-on mexican uh you know native from mexico city yet he didn't even know now what what that meant what that was and that's purely due to colonization yeah and 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 that's why i i like that you've explored that part to discover more about it how did that let, let, let's stick with poyo man for a quick second yeah. how did that how did that evolve poyo man's story as you were studying it oh man so that's kind of the big reason it's taken five years to develop um whenever i first created my book um it was what I knew at the time, and that was very little. And now, over the time, as I learned more, as I decolonized myself, I had to change the story, not necessarily the story, but the setting. You know, I learned what a building would actually look like, what a ritual practice, what a way of saying something would be in order to make it more authentic. Um, and specifically, I was able to create the story to be less of a Eurocentric good versus bad, where there's this sort of evil character and then the good character. And I was able to understand more that maybe the, the god of death shouldn't be the bad guy. Maybe that shouldn't be my story. And instead, I was able to create something better because I was able to learn that death is not the bad guy. Death is just a part of the many guys or gals or beings or Life. forces that have been honored through Native cultures around the world. What I love about it is so many Mesoamerican, so many pre-Columbian cultures, the skull was a symbol of life and rebirth. Right. Um, and it was not as it is in, in Europe very often seen as a symbol of death and, and fear, you know? So, so I, I agree. I also like to use that word de decolonize. Uh, it, it's funny cause you, you know that I study Mesoamerican culture and, and history a lot and I'll go online and get discussions with people about it. 
And one time I was getting into the discussion online and I'd post something in English. The guy would respond to me in Spanish. And we just kept going like that. And then finally he asked me, you know, why am I speaking English? I should be doing it in Spanish the proper way. And I said, you know, the people we're talking about didn't speak Spanish or English. He just wanted, <laughs> it's like, you want me to switch one colonizer language for a different colonizer language? <laughs> I was like, well, you know, what's the point? It's the same thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, mm, that's what that is. Uh, but I, but I get it. And it's, it's like multiple layers of culture and you want to try to respect that and honor that. What, what I really love about your work, Gonzalo, is that you're not just, you know, respecting and honoring it, but you're also trying to make it accessible, uh, to younger generations, you know? Um, you know, I mentioned that you guys are younger than me, but I think a lot of your work would really target, you know, kids that are eight, nine, 10, 13, 14, 15, and, and it's going to get those younger generations to kind of ask those questions. Where right. does this come from? Uh, when I'm looking at your current project, Nawali, which is a card game, much like, say, Pokemon or Magic, the Gathering, those kinds of things, right. um, it, it's the spelling of it is kind of, uh, I, I, I hate to use the word anglicized, but let's call it that, where you're kind of taking these terms and putting them in ways that if somebody was a native English speaker, they could easily pronounce them. And if somebody was a Spanish speaker, they could still pronounce them. Uh, so I think that's kind of an interesting way of, of respelling them. Uh, how did how did uh, Nawali come about? Oh, wait, wait, before I get into that, I want one last thing. I kept calling Poyo Man a, a pro proof of concept before, but you are doing more Poyo Man. You mentioned a graphic novel. That's coming down the pipeline, right? Correct. So Poyo Man was thankfully uh, picked up by a major publisher, HarperCollins. And uh, I, I want to pause you right there. I want to pause you right there and say that slightly differently. Poyo Man was picked up by a major publisher, HarperCollins, because. <laughs> Because here's the thing, I know I know you've been living in this world for a while now, right? But to everybody outside, that is like really cool to get this this Mexican American comic book about uh, this this ancestry that we all share being brought up by a major international publisher. That's really cool. You know what I mean? It's not like I like I know I know I know it sounds uh, like weird because you guys have again been living in that truth for so long. But for everybody outside, it's a big deal. Uh, I appreciate that. It's it's kind of hard sometimes to take the second to realize, you know, where we are and where things are, you know, especially like you tell my parents, you know, I told my mom, you know, yeah, Harper Collins. And it's like, you know, unfortunately my parents didn't have the privilege of reading books. And so they don't really know who Harper Collins is or what that is. So it's very nice to hear you say that. Thank you. I also know it can be a headache going back and forth. I, I'm, I'm currently in the middle of a project with the, with another publishing house uh, called Future House um, that we're doing a project with Luchadors, and I'm really really excited about it. But it is it is as a creator a very stressful process. Not not through any fault of anybody else's. It's just it's just a matter of creating, you know. Especially when you have a day job as a teacher, and I know you have other responsibilities too. So that's going to happen. Um, but yeah, so so you're working with HarperCollins. Poyo Man has gone through a couple different iterations, and you're now kind of working through that that final leg of the journey there. Yes. Um, and then while that's going on, come back to Nawali, which is what I wanted to talk to you about from the beginning of this whole talk. Um, I, I just wanted people to walk through it because I love that you did Borders, that video game, uh, very you know eight bit pixel art, and I love that you did um, that that very much Adventure Time like uh, Poyo Man. Uh, so Nawali has that that distinct style you have, which which I would describe as a very clean and, and almost vector graphics version, I don't know if that's what you're using or not, version of Mesoamerican art, especially like you have uh, Aztec or Mayan codices where you where you have these very often profiled pictures, but not always, uh, and simplified versions of creatures, animals, people. Um, and then you've turned that into characters for this card game. So um, Grace, tell us about Nuali in your words. I would say Nawali is a fun uh, battle card game. It's to me, I never got to play Pokemon. I I was kind of not allowed to look at that growing up. So for me, it was this is like my introduction to that, and it's really easy for me to pick up. It's a lot of fun, and it's the creatures and designs are really cool. I like that it's like cultural and not just not just pure fantasy it's like fantasy with history and that could just be the historian museum worker in me but i love it 
you know, you know <laughs> exactly. That's, it's always good to get the, you know, extra voices in whenever you're talking about something. And I like, I love that you said fantasy and history. Um, one thing that's really big for me when I talk to creators like yourself and others who are doing things inspired by Mesoamerica is we're not trying to show it as some exotic other. It's like, this is, this is history. This is, this is no different from having a card set based on Greek gods or a card set based on Egyptian hieroglyphs. It's just, you're having a card set based on an, an ancient civilization that, oh. you know, that at one time was the biggest populated city in the world, the most populated city in the world at the time it was, was at its height. Correct. Um, Correct. So, Gonzalo, uh, how, what else would you add to that? What, yeah. what was the impetus behind this? Yeah. So, I mean, to, to answer a few of your questions. So, for, for starters, the Nahuatl spelling that you mentioned, I really appreciate that you liked. So, the Nahuatl spelling uh, is actually, I'm using the Inali spelling, which is the modern spelling. What you usually would see is what's considered the classical spelling, which uses Spanish uh, grammar and letters. And so by changing it to this modern spelling that's being used by universities and uh, academics around the world, one, we're removing the colonization by having it be Spanish, but two, it uses more universal pronunciation, whereas Q-U-E uh, would cause English readers to read it as que, um, even though it's supposed to be a k sound, a K, um, with an actual K, then it's easier to say it versus the Q-U-E. Um, so that's one big important change. The other thing is the artwork that you mentioned. I really was inspired by, you know, modern art. I think of modern cartoons as basically the asset codexes are just cartoons, but from 500 years ago. They are just as clean and just as beautiful. And I was so in love with them at how they could just be so well designed for, you know, modern storytelling. I just wanted to take those images and animate them in a way to make them feel more like they're alive um, in the same way that you would see anime and uh, creatures like Pokemon. Yeah, using that Pokemon. Pokemon has a very distinct aesthetic where even it, like I, I'm not super familiar with the game, even though it came out during my generation. I didn't play it. All my friends did. Um, but like you see a character, even if you don't know which Pokemon it is, you recognize that's a Pokemon. And I like that your characters, whether it's it's a it's a mummy or a bear or or an uh, Abizotl, you always have a, this distinctive design element. By the way, I also, I also like that what you were saying about the language a second ago. It's reminding me of a project I did with Marvel a while back where in the comic they'd put uh, this this uh, Mayan phrase, kahua aha, aha. Now I'm having trouble saying it right myself right now. But what troubled me is that the first word of uh -huh. that phrase was written with English phonetics uh -huh. and the second word was written with Spanish phonetics. And I was like, oh. why would you do that? Like it makes no sense. They wanted it to look exotic, maybe. <laughs> well, no, probably because they got it from different sources and didn't uh, realize they were meant to be, you know, connected on purpose. You know, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, but but uh, but yeah, I, I love that you have this very distinct uh, aesthetic. You Thank know, you. and I work really hard on it. Um, so that means a lot. I, I I will have to say, if there was any major inspiration, it would be Akira Toriyama. I really love his work in Dragon Ball and Dragon Quest. And so those were some of my biggest inspirations. That makes a lot of sense. I can definitely see a lot of anime inspiration there. And of course, uh, you know, Dragon Ball is, of course, one of the it, it's big all over the world. But I, I want to say it really uh, hit its peak in, in Mexico, probably before it hit its peak in the U.S., which is true for a lot of anime that got went there first, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Um, I, funny story. And, and mm -hmm. I hate to just share it, but. I remember going. How dare Mexico. you share funny stories? No, continue. Right? Yeah, I, I remember going to Mexico, and because it aired earlier in Mexico, I would actually get to see the episodes like seasons away from what they were in the U.S. So I would come back and I'd spoil everything for all of my friends. <laughs> of course you would. Of course you would. You're that guy. <laughs> ah, man. Well, no. I've changed, Kevin. I've changed. So now you're like, there's so many things I want to tell you about Poyo Man, but I cannot. I understand. Yeah. 
Yeah. I understand. All right. So tell me about the gameplay. You have uh, creatures. What, what, are the, what are the types of cards, first of all? Yeah, so in the game, one of our mo most important thing was to keep it simple. So you only have two types of cards, really. You have your narwhals, your creatures, and your spells. And you only have eight in each of those decks. So you only have a total of 16 cards plus your guardian. Your guardian is this back and uh, it's a front and back card. One side has the tail or the god for lack of a better term. And then the other side has its guardian form, which is sort of like this legendary creature. And you basically take turns playing cards into this arena to do battle, attack your opponent and steal their tonali, which is their life, life force. And so basically it's this back and forth attacking each other to take all 13 points. The winners, whoever gets them first. And there's a lot of strategy behind moving cards around each card has different abilities based on the 20 aztec day signs mm -hmm. so they will give you various abilities like be able to fly over a card be able to move a card away etc and so it has the strategic element but it's simple enough because we use short numbers we don't have like does five thousand attack we don't have that we have like five little points that are actually drawn to show you that it only has five. Keep it straightforward. Keep it straightforward. Easy, easy to adapt to, easy to pick up. Uh, well, tell me about some of the characters you chose. Yeah, so we started off with the four guardians, the four directions, Tezcatlipoca, the, mm -hmm. the, the smoking mirror, Tlaloc, Ehekat, the wind, and then Shipetotec, the spring tail. Um, these were the four major guardians, and then we built a deck around what spirits in the lore they're associated with. And then on top of that, we developed 20 level one animals, one for each day sign, and then 20 level two animals, one for each day sign. And so you essentially choose a guardian with their spirits, and then you draft a few animals to add into your deck. And so we wanted to create all the 40 animals are actually native animals of Mexico. These are animals that had some sort of importance in Mexico. Now, are, are they all real living animals, or are we also including folklore creatures? The original, so the 40 animals are actually all real. Okay. The level one and level two animals are actually all real. So you have- But the, the threes and fours- but, but the level threes and fours are folklore. are folklore creatures. So there's this sort of hierarchy because in Nahualism, uh, I researched a lot about it, and there was actually this hierarchy within Nahualism. A more powerful sorcerer could shapeshift into a jaguar or a fireball, but a lesser or not as powerful sorcerer could only maybe turn into a possum or a cat. And so that's why I created this hierarchy that kind of fits with the lore. And, and that's happened to me a lot. I, I've never been able to move past possum in my own life. I, yeah, I've tried. You know, I, I, I've aimed at Jaguar, and then, then as soon as somebody spooks me, I just fall, you know, prone to the ground with my arms frozen up. And, you know, once, I, yeah. once I've calmed down again, I get back up. But, you know, once it, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah, it sounds like your gnawal is the possum um, and maybe a little bit of deer. Could That's be, right. could be. Well, well, tell me about some of the, the level two and level three creatures. What are some that, that you would really want our listeners to know about or, or to, to yeah. kind of explore about on their own? So the level two creatures are, are, I would say, our core 20. They represent the core Nawals, one for each sign. So, for example, the Jaguar uh, mm -hmm. sign in Nahuatl is Ocelot, or the Jaguar. And so, you know, appropriately, the Jaguar is the Nawal for that sign. We also have the Eagle sign, which has the Golden Eagle, which you see on the Mexican flag. Of course. And we have basically all the major animals within the level two spectrum. So the jaguar, the eagle, the snake, all these major creatures that you'll see if this is your first time getting into Mesoamerica or you've been in it for long, you're going to see these creatures all the time because they're just that important. And what would, what would surprise people? What, what are they going to go in and definitely not have heard about maybe? Well, I would say that something that might surprise people is the fact that turkeys – are native to Mexico. 
a lot of and, people, and very important to mythology and very important to mythology a lot of people will think wait weren't they brought over by the pilgrims to feed <laughs> it's like no my my friend um the turkey means his name is Wesholot, which actually translates to great monster and the being the reason being because the turkeys lived in the forest and they were the great monsters of the forest and if you've ever seen one in person it definitely fit that description you know it's funny stories of his yeah, turkey monster in mexico uh, my dad being a farmer uh told me that they actually use turkeys as guard dogs basically as alarms and I so believe it. protect the chickens from owls so anytime an owl was trying to attack the chickens the turkey would sound off the alarm and attack the uh the owl and make sure to protect it but he would still bite you and be unfriendly apparently you know, I, I love that you mentioned the pilgrims as well, because sometimes I would talk with my students, you know, when I used to teach in Brownsville, and I would talk about how in my personal headcanon, the first Thanksgiving turkey dinner was in Texas. Uh, <laughs> because uh, Cabeza de Vaca was traveling through Texas around, uh, you know, definitely in the fall, lost and, and had to get helped out by by some of the people here uh, and, and going through even Chichimec areas in, in, in South, South Texas. And, and the thing is, is that he would have eaten turkey and it would have been fed to him by, by the native peoples there. And so, yeah, it's my head cannon. The first Thanksgiving was in Texas. I don't care what anybody says over at Plymouth rock. We have the first Thanksgiving. I totally uh, agree. I totally agree. In fact, the Turkey, I believe was going to be, uh, the United States. Uh, yeah. Benjamin Franklin talked about that. Yeah. yeah Benjamin Franklin was onto something. He should have <laughs> went with it. It would have definitely been a much better choice. <laughs> now, for, now, for the Mexica, the, the properly, you know, the, the ones that we call Aztecs today, um, they they connected the turkey with uh, Tezcatlipoca, right? With um, Correct. Yeah. So yeah. I, I love that the turkey, which we in, in American culture think of as a, like a silly bird, is connected with the guy who I, I consider to be basically the Aztec Loki. You know, he, he's just this not a bit of a trickster god, but, but a dark god, definitely. And a very, very powerful one, depending on what part of the lore you're looking at. Correct. And uh, yeah, that turkey is is his symbol. So that's pretty crazy. Yeah, correct. Tezcatlipoca is considered the, in the mythologies, the original shapeshifter. And he actually has a form uh, called the Chalchu Totolin, which is the jeweled bird. And it is a turkey. So there is uh, actually going to be a deck dedicated to in our oh, wow. game uh, at some point. Speaking of these other forms, uh, you also have the the headless man with the chest open, which has also been connected with Tezcatlipoca a lot. Uh, tell me about that guy. Yeah, so that is Yowaltepostli, which means night axe. And he was a ghost that you would hear about, especially in the military fraternities, because if you were brave enough to go out into the forest and listen for the sound of an axe chopping wood that would mean that there was a yowatapotzli near and the reason they called him the night axe was because his rib cage closing in and out would make that sound the sound of wood chopping but if you would come to the sound you know that might be your last day he would devour you but if you were brave enough you could stick your hand in his maws and grab his heart and if you were able to capture his heart, he would give you your fortune. Yeah, and that, that's why I, I love thinking, because you, you were saying earlier that you didn't want to think of characters just good or bad. And, and the thing is, I, I was reading some stories that connected that to being a form of Tezcatlipoca and, and that uh, he would do this form just to kind of test somebody. And it's like, well, if you pass right. the test, you get all of these blessings. And if you fail the test, well, you die. And that's your problem. And, and, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, he's not evil. He's just, you know, giving you a shot. Um, right. and, and that's why I really like your deck because I feel like it's a really neat way to not only show these connections of animals that people wouldn't be aware of, but also these these folklore creatures. In fact, I just had somebody ask me just yesterday when I was talking to to your game about somebody, to, to somebody actually, oh, yeah. and they said, well, how many folklore creatures does Mexico have? And I go, oh, there's a lot, you know? Like, like you know, we, we in the popular American, you know, consciousness, right. the word... Um, Yokai has kind of latched on 
And for a lot of anime fans, that word's been around forever. And of course, in, in Japan, that it's just a Japanese word. But yokai now has come to mean a type of, of creature. And the thing is, Mexico, Mesoamerica, Guatemala, all these areas, they have these uh, folklore creatures that have been around you know, before the Spaniards ever got here that are still part of, of culture today. Correct. And, and I just love the idea of seeing these in there. That's why I was asking you earlier about the, the Avizotl. You have the, that, that little dog monkey tail guy. Um, yes. how, how does he tie into your deck? Yeah, so the Awizot is definitely one of the most popular mythical creatures of Mexi Mexica folklore, and he is actually in the Tlaloc deck, the deck oh. of rainbow. Oh, because of the water connection, of course. That makes perfect sense. Correct, correct. And so... <clears throat> Just to backtrack, for those of you guys who don't already know, Tlaloc is basically Aztec Thor. Let's go with that. Uh, <laughs> although, although where I like to give him a distinction is that where Thor is Prince of Asgard... Tlaloc essentially has his own Asgard. Imagine if there's like, of the nine worlds, one of them just belonged to Thor. That's how Tlaloc has it. He's got his own heaven, which I think is just, just Correct. great. Tlalocan, the place of Tlaloc, the place of nectar and paradise. Um, and so, yeah, so Tlaloc is one of our other four main decks, and Awizot definitely makes an appearance along with the Tlaloque, which are the sort of demigod or helpers of Tlaloc. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you mentioned him. He's definitely one of my favorites. Who doesn't like dogs with one, a tail and a hand on it? I think they could be adorable, honestly. I know, I know they're meant to be little monsters that kill people, but I think they could be adorable. I agree. I agree. That is why, um, you know, we as our, have a design studio, Studio Tequanis. Our goal is to explore, you know, merchandising the same way that other bigger companies have done with our characters because i think our characters deserve the same amount of love as those of fictional worlds because uh, on that on that note the quanis you have a website right where people get like t-shirts and stuff like that correct so i started a studio called studio tequanis at tequanis.com and it's a studio dedicated to creating products like nawali as well as merchandise so we have t-shirts embroidered t-shirts um, soon to have hats, stickers, and other merchandise that features our characters. And 10% of all profits that our shop makes gets donated to people and land in order to help conserve the culture that I'm just so passionate about. I love that. In, in, in areas of Mexico, I, I assume. Correct. And we hope to be able to have enough to do as much as we can across the entire nation here as well. Um, I believe that, you know, by using this culture, I want to give back to the very same people who have kept it preserved, which are the people within those communities, the people living on those lands. And so that's my way of being able to give back. You know, it, it, I love that idea of your your art giving back to important um, important charities over that Cards Against Humanity, you know, famously just loves being sarcastic and everything else, but they donate a lot of stuff to major, you know, uh, pro choice and, and women's rights and other organizations. Um, so you're donating to in various indigenous causes. So I think that's that's a really good connection. I didn't know that. Um, so obviously, the Quanis is already available online right now, but right. Nawali just launched this past week, just launched, it's on Kickstarter, right? Um, Tell me about uh, the, the Kickstarter campaign. How has that been going so far? Are you, are you <laughs> constantly on all social media telling everybody where it is? What's going on? Correct. Yeah. So we we launched my first Kickstarter on uh, this past Saturday. And I cannot believe this is your first Kickstarter. That still, I, I I thought Pollo Man was also a Kickstarter. I thought it was. No, no, no. Um, it's definitely my first, and it's yeah, it's it's uh, we're we're kind of in shock. We met our goal within 24 hours uh we oh, i'm sorry i'm sorry it took so long oh darn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah and we doubled it in 48 hours and so ever since um it's only been a few days but we have reached um over eight thousand dollars and almost no we've reached over 100 backers so that means that we have over 100 people out there in this world who are excited for Nawali. And that just, uh, that really makes all the past six months of hard work feel so much worth it. 
Now, I know you're going to have way more than 100 people that are interested in this, but let me let me ask you a quick question. Um, ideally, perfect world. This gets published. You could maybe make uh, you know make them maybe mass produced. Maybe get them into into game shops. Is there a reason people should go to Kickstarter right now and back the event rather than just wait for them to be out in stores? Uh, what 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 is the incentive you think that that you really think people should go and jump at? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, we have the elusive Shukwat. We have the fire snake, uh, the golden fire snake that is only available to Kickstarter backers, actually. So there, so there are going to be a few rare cards then. That sounds pretty so, cool. Yes. So the Shukwat, however, will be available later on down the line with the Shu Tekutli expansion. But not in holographic form. But it will not be in the promotional holographic form. Um, our, one of our main. We're in the future. But in the future, if no, no, no. I mean holograms. You have a hologram card. That just means we are in the future now. I can't. I can't believe holograms exist. Yeah, <laughs> they have hologram cards. <laughs> um, I mean, the other reason really is we're trying to build this community, and mm -hmm. we are building it together. So everyone who joins right now is going to be at the forefront of that community. We're going to be selecting. Uh, people around the world to help us get these games around in their communities and start to try to really make this a physical in-person experience. We want to bring Friday night magic, but Nawali, you know, morning Sundays or whatever. <laughs> um, we, we want to bring that space because growing up, I did go to some magic, the gathering tournaments and stuff like that. But let's be honest, there is a specific demographic that a lot of these games did end up growing with. And we want to be able to open up the demographic for people who may have never wanted to play a card game. And you know what? We talk about demographics. Uh, the Magic the Gathering is, I mean, let's be blunt, mostly Eurocentric. I mean, they've expanded over the years, especially with their, some of their newer decks. They've really tried to expand to other cultures and backgrounds. But like for a lot of just, the general American populace, they hear fantasy and they still think unicorns and dragons and, and, right. and elves and whatnot when there's so much more than that from, from other areas. So I think right. that's a great, I think it's great that you have this. We want to bring that love for fantasy to the cultures that have been here for thousands of years. Right. Right. And um, the game, one thing I asked you about the other day was how many people can play at once. And it's intended as, as a one-on-one -on -one game, kind of like Yu-Gi-Oh! Or, or Pokemon or some of the other games. But you did mention that you could do kind of like a doubles format, I guess, kind of like to use the tennis Correct. channel. Right? And um, we also have free-for-all. So we actually can play three players um, at once. And it's actually a lot of fun, too. I, I'm always looking for party games. I'm always looking for ways to get more people involved in the same set. Uh, especially when it's something that, let's be honest, it's also kind of a conversation starter because you're looking at these things, you're learning about them as you're talking about them, which I know calling it educational probably is making people not want to back it. But let's just say that it's still cool <laughs> uh, because I love learning about these things. I, th I just think it's the most fascinating thing in the world. Yeah, uh, so I, I love that you say that because that it has been a tenant of what I'm trying to do is I loved playing with Pokemon cards and Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic because there's all this flavored text on them. Someone wrote this flavored text that just brings you into this world. And so with that, I've done the same for my cards. I've created flavored text to sort of teach you about these creatures in one sentence to bring you into this world just the way that all these other games brought you into the world. Do you have uh, supplemental material? Like, is there, are there going to be like like uh, books that give more information on the characters or, or I know you have like a, like a map that people play on, you know? Yeah, so um, the official box set will be released with a small little rule book, which I call the Nawali Codex. Nice. Um, and it's going to have not only the rules of the game, but also some of the influences and some of the information behind it that can get people to understand a bit more of like the lore, the culture, the day sign specifically. Because the the day signs are like the Mexican astrology. Uh, you know, people say, oh, I'm Scorpio or I'm Sagittarius. And it's become such a, a common thing that even social media sites and other things have places for you to say, here's my sign, right? But where's the Mexica signs, right? 
you know, it's funny. People ask me what my sign is, and, and I could tell them what they want to hear, but I have no Greek or Chinese ancestry, so my sign is six Jaguar. Hey, I'm Love a monkey. It. You're a monkey. Excellent. See? And I'm house. And so the, that's good. Why the bear, he is my know-all. And Grace definitely fits the monkey. The monkey is a party goer. And I'm not just, a party goer. Well, you're, you're the life of the party for sure. And I'm Grace, Grace, not a Grace. serious person. All you have to do, Grace, is walk into a room and all eyes are on you. And you're like, nope, don't need that. But the point is the eyes are there. <laughs> yes, she's silly like the monkey. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's kind of the, the whole well, thing. Is I want to time out for a second. Silly like the monkey, and I'm thinking of monkeys in Mesoamerican culture. They are patrons of the arts. Um, what is what is Grace if not a patron of the arts? 100%. Grace, that, that is a big association, is the arts. And so it perfectly fits Grace. Um. So. So. Yeah. Sorry. Getting off track. Talking about. Uh, yeah. But I love this stuff. Um. I also saw. Was there something about like a, like a pyramid that you guys were making? Is this also part of a, one of the the goals or what's what's so going on? We had. Another from the, from the so we. So uh, the other member who unfortunately couldn't be here today, Will. Uh, he is one of the designers of the game who's helped me design the game. Actually, without mm -hmm. his help in many ways this game wouldn't be possible so it's his fault uh <laughs> and however he is actually a, an artist himself and he 3d printed these amazing pyramids and then painted them gold for us for our campaign we only offered 10 on our kickstarter and they sold out within the first 24 hours um, nice. however we as because we have had a lot of people interested in them we do plan on having them on the Tequani's website at some, at some point after the Kickstarter is over. So keep your eyes peeled if that is something you're looking for. Now, could they be used during gameplay or would this be more of like a display feature? Display. They, they, they were definitely made to be a display feature to display your card. So it's it's like a, it's like a frame. Okay, so what I'm hearing is somebody needs to back now so they can get a hologram card and then come back to Taquanis later to get the display set, which is intended for that hologram card. <laughs> what, what are these people waiting for? Why aren't they right now going out and getting it? I think that'd be great. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, we we put a lot of thought into the entire box set, and we tried to offer it at the best price we could. And you know, we really hope that we can provide. Someone said it best that they can't wait for their child to start playing Nawali as much as they've been playing Pokemon. They oh, I love that idea. decided to move from Pokemon to Nawali, and that just made our day. Just think of all those like 11 and 12-year-olds that can name every single Pokemon ever. Now imagine them being able to name all the Nawali. I love exactly. it. I love it. Imagine being able to name all the Nawals and know that your child now knows over 40 animals, their actual names that were used for thousands of years. And the culture and the history. All in one package and how to kick your ass in the Wally. <laughs> On that note, I want to switch gears for a second. Um, we've been talking about the past. Let's talk about the future. Um, one thing that I've said with you many, many times of when we've talked before in the past is that uh, I, I was doing you know a project about the Mexica a couple of years ago. You've done uh, those things as well. And we've had other friends doing similar stuff. And I've had people ask me, well, aren't you worried about that being competition? How can you guys both be doing this thing? And my response to them was, no, I want more people to make these because I want these to become embedded in the popular consciousness of, of other cultures so people can see it and be like, oh, I know what that is. I know who Tezcatlipoca is. I know what Alvizotl is. You know, all those things are that. So let me ask you, um, what do you want to see come down the pipeline, whether it's from you or from other creators? What would you like to see? Yeah, no, I hold the same sentiment as you. I don't think any of us are in competition. If anything, we're just part of a big family. Um, and I want to see more big budget films, mm -hmm. big budget projects. I'm doing all of this out of a garage um, in Southeast Texas. Well, maybe it's better than a garage. It's a garage apartment, you could say. Um, my parents' garage apartment. <laughs> but if I can do- It's your home, but the parents are allowed to stay there. 
Yes, they're awesome. Um, I it, if I can do this from from where I'm at, I think there should be able to have bigger budget things coming out. You know, why isn't there you know an anime or an animation right. movies podcasts? video games, card games, every single media format. You know, we've seen the Eurocentric fantasy in every single format possible. And you know, as you say that, I do know of at least one podcast that that looks at pop culture from this Latino, Latina, Latine kind of perspective. Uh, and it's called My Primos Podcast, which you can listen to on any of the podcast formats. You can also just ask Alexa, hey Alexa, play my primos podcast and it will find us because we exist there you can find us on all social media you can find us on the internet we're we're a little bit on tiktok we're kind of catching up on there i'm sorry i got sidetracked anyway yes i think yeah. i about it i completely agree with everything you said gonzalo um you know i, I like how you said big budget um i could i could easily see you know mesoamerican inspired superheroes more of them i could see uh, mesoamerica uh, we already have some uh, some indie comics you're working on a graphic novel uh, children's books, novels, uh, movies. We, we've not really we've scratched the surface with live action movies when it comes to that. Uh, I know that coming out in a few weeks, Wakanda Forever is going to be introducing Namor, who is okay. going to be uh, reinterpreted as having Mesoamerican roots. Uh, and as somebody who's written both Namor comics and uh, Mesoamerican comics, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm, re I'm ready for that. I agree. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for it. And I felt like Black Panther was one of my favorite Marvel movies um, to have come out because it brought non-Eurocentric fantasy. Right. It brought African fantasy. Yeah, it, it brought Afrofuturism to the mainstream consciousness. Right, and and think about how much impact that one movie had. Now imagine that in every other culture because for me, it's. I guess what I hope the most for my work is that it inspires someone to say, hey, you know what? I want to do that for my culture. Maybe they come from, you know, an underrepresented culture too, and they no one's made anything for them. So that's kind of the ultimate goal is that everyone has a native background if you look far enough. Yeah. yeah. And let's keep those stories alive because someone told them in the first place, right? Right. Let's keep those stories alive and not let, you know, our current world, you know, the empires that dominate our current world, erase them. Gonzalo, have you considered becoming a motivational speaker? <laughs> um, no, I haven't considered becoming a motivational speaker. I, I'm hearing your words and I'm thinking of them coming out of a superhero, you know, standing up on a, on a mountaintop trying to get people <laughs> to believe in themselves and their past. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm honored. I... I would love to share what I can with podcasts like yourself. And, you know, I, I just want to bring goodness to this world if I can. Okay. You lost me there. No, no. I, I, I was, I was with you supporting culture and history and family and people, but goodness. No, no, not in this world. We don't, we don't. Yeah, true. It's not fun, right? <laughs> Um, so are there any upcoming projects that, that, uh, you saw either at the convention or that you've seen at other conventions that you're really excited about? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, well, I am definitely excited to hear more about what was revealed at the Texas Latino comic-con. Yeah. We, we did have a few things there actually, now that you mention it. Or Cheesebox comics. There's yeah. Yeah. Stuff coming from them. Um, I'm excited for Kevin Garcia's, uh, work. I, I, I I've heard of that guy. Yeah. I met him once. Um, I'm very <laughs> excited. I've heard his stories and I, I, I look forward to seeing them in front of me. Um, for, for those of you guys wondering, uh, why he's, he's blowing smoke up me. Um, the, uh, Chispa comics is an imprint of scout comics, which is a very successful comic book publisher right now. Uh, and Chispa focuses on, uh, Latin American voices and uh, trying to create things for, uh, from rather that perspective, it's for everybody. Uh, they've, they've already got out a kind of a monster movie kaiju uh, feature called The Black Demon. They have another one coming out that's goofball comedy that I would compare to uh, Duckman, the, the TV show that I used to love. Oh. But 
Most people will compare it to Rick and Morty, but that's because they're only half as cultured. Um, but uh, that's called Mashbone and Grifty, and that's really good by Five Meats. But just announced at the Latino Comic-Con is, is there's going to be a series of, of kind of superhero books coming out from Chispa Comics that, yeah, I'm going to be writing one of them. In fact, they're talking about having a series of one-shots, and I'm doing the last one-shot. I guess they're keeping saving the mediocre for last. <laughs> or the best. I think that's usually how that phrase goes. But... No, no, no. I, I'm pretty sure it's not. I'm pretty sure it's oh, not. Okay. <laughs> but, but I'm actually very excited for it myself. Um, nice. I'll probably you know, find an artist for me to work with and and uh, put that together. And I know a lot of the other creators, you know, the Five Meats guys are putting stuff together. Um, the editors are uh, Hector Rodriguez and David Bowles, who are both great creators in their own rights, uh, you know, for comics and, and graphic novels and books and other things. And they're also going to be doing some of the books as well. So it's it's going to be amazing. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of great stuff coming. And, and I think it's only going to get better, to be honest. And that's why it's so exciting to be a part of all this with this big family. Because I can't wait to see where everyone ends up. I can't wait to see how far it goes. Right. <laughs> and it keeps going. All right. On that note, I want to ask you guys really quick, where can we find you guys on the internet? Where can we find uh, about Taquanis? Where can we find about uh, Nawali? And, and, and well, let's, let's start with that first of all. Where can people find your products right now? Yes. Taquanis.com. Spell that out for us. Tequanis.com, T-E-C-U-A-N-I-S, Tequanis, which means eater of man or beast in Nahuatl. Um, so Tequanis.com has our Kickstarter, where you can go check out our Kickstarter, back it if you're interested in being one of the first people to own the Nawali asset card game. And spell Nawali again for us real quick. Nawali, N-A-W-I-L-L-I. Excellent, excellent. Uh, now, on social media, where can we find you, Gonzalo? Yeah, so you can find me at Gonzink, G-O-N-Z-Z-I-N-K. That is my social media handle for Instagram and Twitter, which I have been constantly on because I have to uh, share this project. But also, I like I like sharing my work. And then um, Grace can be found at? Uh, I think best one would be Instagram, which is gracelessly graceful. Gracelessly graceful. So that's where we can find Grace Chadwick's art and also Gonzalo Alvarez. Uh, I, I, again, follow both of you guys on Instagram and, and other social media platforms. It is always cool seeing your work. Um, one thing that I love about Gonzalo's is that it has evolved in my eyes from what was a very playful and fun style to a very refined and, and distinctive style that I can always recognize even with new creatures I haven't seen before. Uh, and then Grace, I was saying earlier that I, I've seen you do these like these painterly things. I don't know what kind of materials you're using, but paints, I'm assuming. Uh, and, and and now lately you've been doing some more kind of anime inspired work. So it's really, really cool watching um, both of your art evolve. You know, I really, really love it. Um, this Friday, she, her work for a project will debut uh, for a VTuber. And her work was used for an animation trailer. A lore story. It's like con like concept art that's been animated type of thing. I'll be posting it uh, after the debut. So. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to be great work to see. So that, that VTuber thing is coming out this weekend? Yes. yes. They're, they're debuting this weekend. So then I can start sharing all the work that I've done afterward. <laughs> so stay yeah. tuned. Follow Grace and you'll see some awesome work. All right. I guess we'll, we'll look for that on your on your Instagram, and then I can find that. It's kind of funny, you know. I'm going to find a VTuber by checking an Instagram, as opposed to the other way around. Well, it's often the other way around. Um, <laughs> all right, that works out. I mean, I I, I definitely follow Instagram more than I, I follow VTubers. So there you go. Maybe I should start doing that though. Anyway, the point is, the point is that's really really cool. You can uh, find for all of our listeners, you can find my Primos podcast on all of the social media platforms. Just look up my Primos podcast. You can find us right there. Uh, we are also available on all of the audio formats. You can find us on Audible. You can find us on the uh, Google Play, for, the Google Store, the Apple Store. We are on all forms where you can find podcasts. We are there. You can occasionally find us on TikTok, which I find really neat. We occasionally on TikTok, which I out. Um, but regardless, thank you for being here, Gonzalo, Grace. Uh, my name has been Kevin Garcia. You can find me at kevingarcia.com when that website works and when it doesn't. Um, but it is so good having our primos with us. Uh, Gonzalo, you are always a primo. Thank you. You are a prima. 
thank you so much for being here. Uh, and thank you all for coming. All right. Good Bye. Have a good one. Come back soon.